We're finishing up a series today on what does it mean to love God? What does loving God mean? And, you know, we looked at it first. Loving God is expressed not just in words saying, oh, I love you, Jesus, but it's expressed in loving one another. And then last week we looked at the fact that John then goes on to explain that because, you know, for you and I, it's very frustrating to know that he has set this bar up there, this, this standard that we're to attain, that is, that we are to love one another, but you and I both know that it's very difficult, isn't it? I mean, life would be great if it weren't for people, right? I mean, isn't that true? Work would be wonderful if you didn't have to deal with customers or anything like that. But here's, here's God. He's set this standard that we're to love one another. And that's true in the church, too, because when you get a bunch of people, we, although we're, we're, we're a nice, warm family and we love each other, well, you know, even family, there are, there are squabbles, right? You, you, you kind of rub each other wrong. But yet there's that standard, you know, you love me, keep my commandments, and he tells you his commandment is to love one another. And we saw that, that he sets these standards not for you and I to attain on our own, because we can't. But he threw us. And so then when he finished out the section last week we looked at, he talked about then, then that would guide us in our prayer time, that we can go to him and know that he hears us and that he'll answer us when it's in accordance with his will. And what was his will? That you and I love each other. And so when we go to him and say to him, Lord, help me to love that person, he'll help you. So today what we're going to look at then is, okay, so he set this standard, I'm going to express my love, he'll help me to do that. We're going to look today exactly what does it mean then to love God? How do I express that love? How do I express that love that he has for me? How do I love one another? He's going to give us some specific examples of both loving others and loving God. So I want you to notice with me verse 16 through the end of the chapter, verse 21. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I did not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin or continue to sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Basically, I can, if we're going to talk now about the whole, how do I express that love for God? Three ways. We're going to look at each one of these ways. Number one, we're going to see that we express it through prayer. We express it with confidence. And then we express it with devotion. So let's see what he's talking about. First of all, through prayer. Verse 16 to 17, which I think is a natural following of verse 14 and 15, where he just talked about it. Whatever we ask, he'll give us. So then he tells us what we're to ask about. And it has to do with the issue of praying 
for the people that we're to love. So the first thing he tells us as far as our expressing love for one another and expressing love for God is in the issue of prayer. And so here's what he tells us. He says that we are to pray for those who struggle with sin. We're to pray for those who struggle with sin. Now, when you look at this passage, it says a couple of things here. A sin which does not lead to death and a sin which leads to death. And you're thinking, what does that mean, George? Here, let me give you a simple illustration of what he's trying to say to us. He's saying that we're to pray for those who, number one, are struggling with sin. That's a sin that doesn't lead to death. Is Every one of us sins, right? And every one of us struggles with sin. Now, you need to grasp the reality of that. If you don't, you've got problems. Every one of you, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, are struggling with a sin. I'm struggling with a sin. In fact, the sin I'm struggling with right now, I wasn't aware of when I first got saved. He had me deal with other sins earlier on. And as I mature, and as he helps me to overcome them, then he begins to real, reveal more and more things in my life that need to be dealt with, whether they're attitudes, whether they're heart issues. And I'll be honest with you, when I got saved at first, it was outward things. But now as I'm getting older, now it's going to be almost 22 years as a believer now, I'm finding that the things that I'm dealing with are more issues of my character. There are more issues of my inner life. There are more issues of my heart attitude about things. And it's like, man, I couldn't have dealt with this stuff I'm dealing with now back then. But the fact is, is that we all struggle. And so when he's talking about a sin that doesn't lead to death, he's talking about the everyday struggles that you and I have with sin in our lives. Now, when he talks about a sin that leads to death, what he's talking about there is someone who lives in sin. There's a difference. There's a difference between struggling with it and abandoning yourself to it. Living in it. And that leads to death. And we see the example of that over in Corinthians with the Apostle Paul when he tells them that some of them are asleep because of their actions. That is, they have been taken home. God has judged them immediately because of their sin. They were no use to them anymore. We also see that around us reflected in our world. That those who don't turn to Christ and continue to live in their sin, what? Will end up facing eternal damnation. So, but what's the point here? The point is for you and I, as I'm going to express my love for someone, I need to pray for them who are struggling in sin. Over and over in the Bible, you'll see an emphasis where you and I are to pray for each other. But here's what we'll do. Can I be honest with you? Satan always has an opposite. Let's say I see Joe Schmo. I see that Joe Schmo is, God has revealed to me that maybe Joe Schmo is struggling with some sin in his life. The proper response is, is that God, through his word, says, I want you to pray for him. I want you to pray for Joe, that Joe can overcome this, that Joe can find victory, that Joe can put this behind him. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to communicate with him about the problem. Because that's our bent. When we, are, when we have something revealed to us, we have a need to what? Communicate. Satan always has an opposite. You want to know what Satan's opposite to prayer is? Gossip. 
So I see Joe, and I see Joe struggling, and I've got that need that's already built into me because I'm a child of God to what? Pray for Joe, but rather than pray for Joe, I see Brad, and I say, hey, Brad. And I'll, I'll do the Christian thing. You need to pray for Joe. And then I'll tell Brad, this is why we need to pray for Joe. But do I pray for Joe? No. And now, does Brad pray for Joe? Oh, he might, but because I shared it, he now thinks it should be what? Common knowledge. And maybe he shares it with Gary. Then Gary shares it with Hoss. Before you know it, everybody knows. Chances are nobody prayed. But see, Satan has deflected the communication from where it should go. Which is where? To God. Because God's the one who showed it to you. And when God showed it to you, he, what? he wanted you to genuinely love that person and pray and talk to God about it. Can I be honest with you? The most wonderful act of love that you and I could do for someone else is to pray for them. To go to the throne room of God and intercede on their behalf. And I'll be honest with you, Satan will do everything he can to keep you from doing that. And he'll, he'll say, well, you know, you just got to share that, share that. Oh, Brad, guess what? Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we do? I do it, you do it, we all do it. But he's saying here, we're to pray for those who struggle with sin. Listen, here's the, it's a, you're saying, are you sure that this is a biblical principle? Listen, James chapter 5, verse 13 through 20. This is the healing chapter. It's not just talking about physical ailments here. It talks about the, the issue of sin. Listen to what James says. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any among you cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will hear the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now listen to this. And if any, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and Pray for one another that you may be healed. The confession of what? Sin. Then he goes on, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that he would, would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if any among you wanders from the truth... Someone turns him back. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from his error will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. We got a responsibility. We got a responsibility. If I'm going to say, I love Jesus, and he says, okay, you love me, then you need to love others. And the way he's saying for me to understand here is that I've got to pray for those who struggle with sin. But who, 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 who are those who struggle with sin? That's our next point here. I want you to notice. Here's what he's saying. Everyone. Notice what I said. I'm using the word. Everyone struggles with sin in their life. There's no holy group that's perfect. 
There's no holy group. I'll, I'll never forget. I remember, I remember, you know, as a boy, I was growing up in South Carolina. Down the road from us was a, an auto wrecker and a maintenance shop, and that's where my dad would take our vehicles. And I remember I went over one day with my dad in the truck to get pick up a, get a vehicle inspected or something. And we're in the, sh- the shop there, and it's July, and it's hot in South Carolina, as it always is. Humidity's 100 percent, and and we're at the garage there, and you know the the mechanic who owns the garage there. He's talking with my dad, and the mechanic's wife came in, and she. She belonged to the holy, one of these holiness churches, a holiness movement. She had, she had, you know, long dress down to here, honey bun in the back of her head. And somehow, I don't know what we got, how they got on spiritual things, because my dad wasn't a spiritual man, but, but she said, and she made this comment, I've stopped sinning long ago. I don't sin anymore. I've reached perfection. You're laughing. Her husband just about fell out of the chair laughing. He knew better. And so you've got some people who think that they have arrived. Well, you know, the reality is, is we haven't arrived. Everyone, everyone, you and I, we struggle with sin. So what does that mean then? That means we should be what? If we're going to love each other, we should be what? Praying for each other. And, you know, and this is the kind of prayers because we recognize that everyone sins. I shouldn't be praying these kind of haughty prayers. Oh, Lord, I pray for that one. Lord, they're not like me. They're struggling. No, that's not the kind of prayer that God wants you to pray. He wants you to pray recognizing that you struggle too. Lord, help that person they're, they're wrestling right now. Lord, I've been there. I know what they're going through. Or, Lord, I may not have done that, but I know I, the issue of sin is so hard. And Lord, free them from that issue. It's not an issue of you being better. It's a recognition that we all need God. And so you say, Lord, help them. Help them. Help them. So he says to me, and you, and I, that we need to express our love through prayer. Can I ask you a question? Are you praying for others? When you come here, maybe you see something I don't see, and you recognize that the person maybe across the aisle from you or a few few seats in front of you or behind you or even next to you is struggling with something, And you've got that urge to talk. It's a natural urge. God put it in you. Are you talking to God about it? Are you asking God to help? The next thing I want you to know is we can express that love with confidence. And see, again, this adds, just flows naturally out of the issue of prayer because we can have confidence in prayer. So he's going to talk about now that as I express my love towards God and towards others, I can have confidence And he tells me I can have confidence in three different areas, that my confidence is based on three different things. Look with me at verse 19. He says this. We know that we are of God. Excuse me, verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, or it should be does not continue in sin, is another way some other translations put it. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. First thing I want you to notice about the confidence that we can have 
as we express our love, and especially as we express our love in praying for someone. Here's what he says. We will not continue in sin. We will not continue in it. You're struggling with something right now? I'm struggling with something right now? What's he saying? That because you're a child of God, you will at some point not continue in it. You'll find victory. Let me just stop for a moment. Did you hear me? At some point, you'll find the victory. Don't give up. You're struggling with something. Maybe it's an addiction of some sort. And you're ready to give up because it just seems like every time you try, you just fall back on your face and you can't, don't want to get up off of your face and it's like, what's the use? I just might as well just not even try anymore. You need to recognize and have a confidence that God says, if you're a child of His, you won't continue in it anymore. The road may be rough to overcoming it. And believe me, it is rough. It is rough. You train your body in something for a long period of time and then you try to give it up, it's rough. How many of you want to go cold turkey on chocolate? I mean, especially, think about it, 10 days from now is the big chocolate day, isn't it? Valentine's. You know, you go to Walmart, you buy one for your sweetie and then you got one for yourself that you're sneaking out of later, you know? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? How many of you would like to go cold turkey on it? You've trained your body all these years to enjoy chocolate. Okay? You see what I'm saying? And, and, and if you try go cold turkey on that, you're going to fail. Especially if you walk in Walmart and they say, there's a sale. Everything's reduced 75%. Mad rush to get the chocolates. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, do you see what I'm saying? You feel like a failure and you don't want to give it. It's like, what's the use? I'll never be able to. No, God says you won't continue in it. You've got to trust in him. You've got to have confidence in him that he said that this would be true in your life. And notice something. The confidence about that we will not continue in sin. Notice what he says there, verse 18. But he who has been born of God keeps himself. That is, he'll be able to maintain his purity. He'll be able to maintain his life. And here's what he says. And the wicked one, that is Satan, does not touch it. The tempter won't have the victory. The tempter won't have the victory. See, you and I can have that kind of confidence. So what, does, what do I do with that confidence? So then, if I see Joe Schmo again, and Joe's struggling in sin, I can pray and know that, Lord, you're going to bring him through this. Lord, I pray that you would help him. Lord, maybe you want me to talk to him, but I pray that you will bring him to the place where he will have victory over this thing. And I can pray confidently that he'll overcome it. You know, a lot of us will just give up, won't we? We'll just give up. What's the use? Don't ever give up. And listen, can I be honest with you? People who struggle and they're struggling with some things, you know this from your own life. They're just not going to give it up like that according to your timetable. They've been smoking for years. It isn't just going to be easy. It just doesn't work that way. 
They've been addicted to drugs. There's a nasty drug out there right now, heroin. And folks who get addicted to that, if you talk to folks who are addicted to that, even though they want to stop and they do everything they can, their body then goes out berserk and goes out of control, wanting it. It's not that easy. But they can overcome it. And God says he will help them overcome it, but it's going to take some time. And you and I need to be patient. And what does that patience need to be expressed in? That we continue to pray for him, continue to pray for him, that God brings him to that place of victory. You know what? Can I be honest with you? We're not praying. Let's be honest. We're not praying because we're the microwave generation. If it isn't done in 10 minutes, forget it. You know, we go through, we're, we're upset now that at McDonald's, they got that drive through parking places. What does that mean? They don't have it ready yet, so pull over. What do you mean you don't have it ready? This is a drive through We've conditioned ourselves to think that God should act that way. But he says for you and I to be persistent, to be confident. Here's the other thing that we can have confidence in. We are the children of God. We're the children of God. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you're his child. What does that have to do with anything, George? When my kids come and talk to me and they express something to me and they express a need, because I'm their dad and I love them, chances are, well, Lori says I'm a sugar daddy. <laughs> Just like yesterday, we were skating and, Dad, can I have a quarter? And at first I was, no, no, you don't need to do that. Well, I end up giving them three quarters each. So, I mean, we're the children of God. And that's, God loves us. You know, I've been interesting. I've been doing a study on my own and some statements that Paul and Peter have made concerning you and I being the objects of his love and mercy. And the emphasis of the passages that I've been studying is, is that God, before even eternity, wanted us to be objects that he could continually bestow love and mercy onto. Isn't that an awesome thought? That God sees you as someone who he can continually show love and mercy to. Wow! We're the children of God. So I can have confidence in that. I can have confidence in that. The next thing is, is that we also have, can have confidence because we have an understanding concerning Jesus. We have an understanding concerning Jesus. Who Jesus is. Look with me. Notice what he says in verse 20. He says this. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. And this is the true God and eternal life. 
The rest of the world may say Jesus is just some nice teacher. He had some wonderful things to say about love and everybody's messing up his sayings. Or the rest of the world may say that he married Mary Magdalene and that's not true either. I mean, and the rest of the world may say that he's just some pathetic figure who ended up on a cross or whatever. You know, the rest of the world may say that, but you know what? You and I have a true understanding. John says he's the eternal God. He's the Lord of the universe. And you and I have that understanding. And so when we have confidence, we go to prayer and we pray in His name. We're praying in the name of the Lord of the universe. The one who died for you and saved you is the Lord and Creator of the world. I can have confidence in Him. Confidence. We have an understanding concerning Jesus. But then... I express my love not only through prayer with confidence, I express my love with devotion. So I want you to notice with me what he says, verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. We must, a couple things here. Number one, we must put away our substitutes for God. That's what an idol is. Because you might be saying, well, you know, George, last time I checked, I wasn't bowing down to some marble or gold or, or wooden thing. Never done that in my life. You're right. Chances are, if you've grown up in North America, you've never bowed down to a graven image of some sort. But that's not what he's talking about. You see, because the idols of North Americans, the idols of you and I in this country, are not graven images. We have different substitutes for God. What do you mean, George? Our substitutes for God is, what a substitute for God is, is that which has your devotion. If it isn't God, then it's a substitute. What do you mean by devotion? Well, for some of us, we're workaholics. And so the object of our devotion is our what? Job. For some of us, it's a four-legged animal that's brown that has this. And all we think about, and we're devoted all year round to this. We've got our gun. We've got our bow. It's ready. We, we look in our spot. We make sure nobody else gets near our spot. You know, we, we go to the seminars. We'll go down, you know, sportsman shows coming up in Harrisburg here in another week or so. We'll go down there, check out everything. We'll dream about a trip out west or Alaska or, or Africa or whatever. You know, we'll, oh, wonderful. You know, and, and our devotion is this. Our devotion might be our families, ladies, our kids. Well, I love my kids. Yeah, but if they're the center of your focus rather than God. See, our idols are different things. For some, it's money. Can't get enough money. Or some of it's stuff. Can't get enough stuff. What's, what they got new at Walmart? I say that because somebody said to me, if, it, if Walmart doesn't have it, nobody has it. Because that's the only place in town, right? You know, I mean, stuff. Stuff. we got to put away our substitutes because we can put our confidence in this. Government. We can put our confidence in government. 
And they can become our substitutes of devotion rather than God. What are you devoted to? Maybe it's your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. What is it? Education. Here's a funny one. You know, I graduated from Liberty in 1993. I had uh, a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. Thought that by the end of the summer, I would be in a church somewhere. I ended up spending three summers pruning Christmas trees. And that'll humble you. Because my devotion was education. Or whatever. And God told me it wasn't that And I'll remember it. Here's a joke. Here's what happened. So I'm working with these young guys. There's another guy there. He's got a nursing degree. He's looking for a job. I've got this. I'm looking for a church. And we're working with these guys who are getting ready to go to college. And they say, oh, I just can't wait to go to college. We're sharing those trees. Can't wait to go to college and get a real good job. And we said, yeah, you'll be right back out here with us. <laughs> you know? You can have different things up there that distract you from God. And he says, put them away. Put them away. We must put away our substitutes. Listen to this. World Magazine back in 1999 had this. 100 decoys were placed on the Uzu Peninsula of Japan to attract the endangered albatross and encourage them to breed. For more than two years, a five-year-old albatross named Deco tried to woo a wooden decoy by building fancy nests and fighting off rival suitors. He would spend his day standing faithfully beside her, her woodenness. Japanese researcher Fumi Sato, talking about the albatross's infatuation with the wooden decoy, said, he seems to have no desire to date real birds. So it is with all people who put their affections on the gods of this world instead of placing their love in the God of the universe. He tells us to put away our substitutes for God. You know what? You and I, when we chase after our substitutes, we're just like that dumb bird trying to woo a wooden decoy. So what's he telling us? We must be devoted to him. That's what he's telling us. We must be devoted to God. Did you wake up this morning and the first thing you thought about is saying to him, Lord, thank you for another breath. Lord, this day is going to be a difficult day. Can you help me face it today? Lord, I'm, I'm facing this bill or I have this need and, or I'm facing this issue. Can you provide in that area? Did that come across your mind or did you think, oh no, another day. Where's the coffee? Is that what you thought? Dumb alarm. Wake up. Devote it to God. We must be devoted to Him. Let me give you three things as we conclude our series here. Number one, are you expressing your love with actions? Loving God is not just words. It is not just saying, I love Jesus. Really? Do you show it? Do others see it? 
The reason why you know unsaved people, people who don't know Jesus Christ, have a difficulty with some Christians is because they're all talk and no action. I mean, they're the holy rollers at work. And they'll let you know what they believe, but then we can see how they live, and it's completely different. Do you express your love with actions? Do you? Next question is this. Do you pray for others? Do you? Do you pray for others? God, you know what? I, I can guarantee you that if you've gone throughout this week, that you have been confronted with someone's issue this week. Just guarantee you. Maybe not just one someone, but some a lot of people's issues this week. God has has brought to your mind or has God has shown you people in your life or people that you interact with who are struggling with stuff, who are dealing with stuff, who are going through stuff, people who, who are just in the midst of it. The day probably doesn't go by that you don't come across someone like that. Can I ask you a question? And maybe even some of them will even say to you, can you pray for me? Have you been? You know what? If we're honest, we have it. Kind of reminds me of the preacher who, you know, Bill came to him the week before and said, you know, Pastor, can you pray about this for me? Oh, yes, I'll pray for you, Bill. Well, the pastor had a pretty busy week and he forgot about Bill till their church comes and he sees Bill walking through the door and he says, oh, I'm supposed to pray for him. Lord, help Bill with his problem. Isn't that what we do? Are you praying for others? Hey, you know the most wonderful thing people tell me means a lot to me. Just last Sunday, somebody walked in my office and said, Are you doing all right? I was in my prayer time, and God brought you to mind, and I prayed for you. That's a wonderful thing. Are you praying for others? Next thing, final thing is this. Make God the focus of your devotion. Make Him the focus of your devotion. He's the only one who will satisfy you. It isn't going to be work. Can I be honest with you, workaholics? You're devoting all your time to the job. You can be replaced. They will replace you. Here's what happens, because I've been there. You get to the place where you think the company rises and falls on me. If I'm not here, if I'm not doing it, they won't exist. You know what? They still go on after you're gone. They still do it. Make God the center of your devotion. You know what? That's where you fall in love with Him. And as you fall in love with Him, as you're devoted with Him, that's how you're able to express it to others. Let's pray.